Welcome back to Arbitrary and Capricious, the podcast of the Seaboyd and Gray Center for the Study of the Administrative State. I'm Adam White. One of the challenges of teaching administrative law, both in the classroom and in the programs that we have here at the Gray Center, is the fact that it can get pretty complicated pretty quick. And it's not always the most exciting of stuff. Administrative law professors love to point back to a talk that Justice Scalia gave back in 1989, a famous talk, later an an article on Chevron deference, where he, he said, quote, administrative law is not for sissies, so you should lean back, clutch the side of your chairs, and steal yourselves for a pretty dull lecture. I mean, that's just the, the, the plain fact of what we do here. It's important, but it's complicated. And so one of the real challenges is reaching audiences, not just students, but also the broader public, to try to describe to, for them what's going on in administration, what these legal doctrines are, and, and what they need to know. Now, one of the projects that I think has done a great job of this in recent years is a, an initiative of Ballotpedia, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a moment, It's Ballotpedia's Administrative State Project, a really fascinating uh, website and set of programs intended to take really complicated substance of administrative law and administrative law doctrines and translate them into offerings for the general public. And so it's my pleasure to welcome onto the podcast today one of the people leading that program. His name is Chris Nelson. He's the project lead for Ballotpedia's Administrative State Project. He's been part of the Ballotpedia program for years working on various uh, initiatives, including the public policies and and influencers project. And he has some roots here at George Mason University. Years years ago, he was at the Institute for Humane Studies, which is one of our sister programs here at George Mason University. It's actually on the Arlington campus. Chris, it's such a pleasure to welcome you here today. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, before we talk about the Administrative State Project, let's just talk a little bit about Ballotpedia for those who aren't already familiar with it. What is Ballotpedia? Great. Yeah, uh, Ballotpedia is the online encyclopedia of American politics. Uh, It's a free resource. It's available at ballotpedia.org. And it's uh, well over 10 years old now at this point. Uh, uh, We've got, uh, believe it or not, over 300,000 professionally curated encyclopedic articles of really about all aspects of American politics at at all sort of levels and across all branches. Uh, You know, so that at the the, the national level, we've got articles on, you know, the presidential election, on uh, congressional incumbents, as well as candidates for those open seats, articles about SCOTUS, right down to the state level office, you know, articles on um, profiles on statewide elected officials, both incumbents and candidates. Same is true with the legislatures. We also cover state Supreme Courts, you know, the judges and justices who sit there and the notable decisions that they that they write, right down to the local level where we cover the top 100 cities in terms of, you know, mayoral races and uh, city councils, including some of the down-ballot issues, which is really where Ballotpedia got its sort of start, and I think is one of its most interesting niches in terms of covering school board elections. And um, including ballot measures. Uh, we have a pretty comprehensive um, set of articles on basically every ballot measure ever, uh, which is really what helped put the ballot in Ballotpedia. Yeah, when you mentioned the sheer volume of, of pages on Ballotpedia's website, and, and by the way, listeners, it's at ballotpedia.org. When you mentioned the sheer volume of pages, I wasn't surprised at all, actually. It's an immense resource, as its name indicates. It, it really began by focusing on what was happening in elections, but it's much broader than that. I'm looking now at the homepage for this project, and here's, here's how Ballotpedia describes the Administrative State Project. Quote, it's an, ex- an encyclopedic overview of the administrative state. It includes information about 
to the administrative and regulatory activities of the United States government. It also covers concepts, laws, court cases, executive orders, scholarly work, and other material related to the administrative state. That's a great way of putting it, I think, because as it suggests, here on the main page, you have everything from updates in the Federal Register and trends, historic trends in the the growth of the material in the Federal Register. It links to statutes. It links to court cases on the main page right now. It links to two of the most uh, recent Supreme Court decisions, Weyerhaeuser and Gundy, on major issues of administrative law. And then it links back, on, I guess, Wikipedia style, as it's, maybe as its name indicates, uh, to, uh, to ar- articles just describing things like Chevron deference and the non-delegation doctrine. And then it gives direct links to scholarly work, uh, the famous article by Gary Lawson, The Rise and Rise of the Administrative State, a more recent article, a very uh, impactful article by Jillian Metzger called 1930s Redux, The Administrative State Under Siege. It really is, as you said, an encyclopedic uh, resource. It's really a public service. How did this come about? The Administrative State Project came about a few years ago when, you know, in as much as these sorts of policy issues become household lexicon, you know, key terms, right? You know, as with the incoming administration, where a number of folks were talking about one of the major priorities being to, in their words, deconstruct and dismantle the administrative state. You know, we had readers who wanted to know what they meant by that. Maybe it was a term they hadn't heard. Maybe they had heard, but they were confused about it, right? And I think it's also the case that for a while, there are lots of terms that are used interchangeably to describe whatever it is we mean by the administrative state. And so what we wanted to do was to ask ourselves that question, you know, what, what do we know about it? What can we offer our readers who are looking for a framework to try and understand this really complex set of uh, phenomena? So we started in around 2017 to sort of put together as we would do with any encyclopedic project, what are the lists of the key terms? What are the most notable court cases, executive orders, and things that have given rise and have helped evolve sort of thinking about it over the years? And to start to lay that out for the readers who were sort of coming through the side door in some sense, you know, before folks knew to come to, you know, the homepage, right? You'd be surprised how many people out there were Googling, what is Skidmore deference, right? And they were able to sort of find our articles. And then as you indicated, because of sort of the interconnected nature of the articles with the links, they were able to then sort of, you know, click, oh, well, this is then what our deference is on this is Chevron and so on and so forth. And so, uh, it was just initially an attempt to sort of help readers understand what is this thing that's being talked about more and more, right? And just beginning with that question of what is the administrative state, you have a page right there linked from the home page where you describe it in terms of five pillars. I think this is actually a very good way of putting it. Um, five pillars of the administrative state. One is is non-delegation or, or the, the delegation of, of powers to agencies. You get judicial deference, so the relationship between courts and agencies. You get executive control of agencies, so there it's the president and the agencies. And fourth, you have the procedural rights, so thinking through things like the APA and other procedures that agencies go through and, and protections that those statutes give people. And then finally, agency dynamics, so looking inside of the agencies themselves and trying to understand them um, uh, almost, I suppose, from a, a political science uh, standpoint. Maybe sometimes it feels like a sociological standpoint. Yeah, right. Um, right. But, but how... And put it this way, we law professors have a certain way of looking at these issues. There's sort of a natural progression um, from the constitutional foundations through to things like judicial review. One of the challenges, I think, for administrative law professors is that we really tend to see it through a law-centric model. Um, it's, it's amazing sometimes how, how siloed or stovepiped the lawyers are 
from the political scientists, from the historians, from the political philosophers, and so on, the economists. I don't want to overstate it. Obviously, there's a lot of interdisciplinary dialogue, and um, um, and I, I suppose it's, it's gotten much better in, as, as time progressed. But there's just such complication here, even within one field. How does Ballotpedia go about trying to take all of that and marshal it into something that's useful to and interesting to the broader public? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It was a challenge we had to really grapple with. And I think the five pillars that you've already alluded to was one of the ways I think we stumbled on that's probably best positioned to help readers, and which I think as an encyclopedia, we were sort of best positioned to offer. But, you know, to your point, it's true in my own experience, my graduate work is in intellectual history. And and for years prior to Ballotpedia, you know, I approached issues related to the administrative state purely as a, as a historian of ideas. So I was much more interested in what intellectuals thought at the, at the founding, right, about these ideas as well as like around the progressive era. And I, you know, I, I'd almost completely forgotten that there would have been a, a legal take and a political science take, right, and the, the, the pure line historical take. So it's been great at Ballotpedia to have this sort of this second chance at a second graduate education, right, which is really what it sort of feels like in a fun way. Right. But the the idea of the pillars, though, was a way of sort of helping people, given the complexity of this world, sort of say, if there were only a few things that you could take away, or if there was a few starting points, right, what would those be? We got a little bit of a help reading um, Joseph Postel's book on bureaucracy in America and his introduction. He talks about, I think he actually listed about five, five sort of areas. I'm not entirely overlapping with this, but it kind of got us thinking about how Given how much work has been done on administrative state, you know, what's a what's sort of a new starting point? What's a way of taking what we've been curating, right, as encyclopedists and trying to give it to, you know, voters and 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 average readers and citizens and stuff? And again, it was sort of stumbling on this idea, a lot of back and forth, a lot of team debate about what they ought to be, you know, agency dynamics, how does that overlap with, you know, executive control over agencies, various things like this. But um, it was it was a good start, and who knows? Maybe there's more. Maybe there should be a six or something, right? But in a, in a way, the you know, long story short, it kind of grew out of this sort of argument centric approach we've taken, right? Which again, I think, is an outgrowth of just the encyclopedic method itself, right? You know, we don't write an article um, unless it's something, you know, unless it's a synthesis of what it is that we've sort of curated through notable, reliable sources, right? And what we started to see is that as we were beginning the process of simply trying to explain to readers, we offered them a framework on, hey, what is this thing the administrative state that more and more people are talking about? We started to notice that most of the work is sort of focused on the ideas about it, right? And arguments about it. Obviously right now there's a huge sort of, like, so I call like a reform movement, right? Related to sort of like maybe reforming administrative state, reforming elements of it, right? And so what we wanted to do was, and uh, instead of avoid that, kind of lean into that, right? And help people sort of understand what are the, the mainline arguments, not just for and against these sorts of elements, but just related to in general, because there's so much more nuance than they're just being, you know, we're just against this, we're just, just against that, right? I mean, a lot, lot of nuance, a lot for average readers to wade through. The five pillars was probably the best way we, we discovered just sort of just help people kind of begin to, you know, put their foot in the water. Why don't we, why don't we give our listeners a sense of how you actually build this, uh, I mean, in terms of, of gathering together, I, searching for, identifying the relevant materials, and then putting them together in a useful framework. I mean, you could pick any of the five, but could you maybe tell the story of how Ballotpedia um, puts this sort of thing together, any of the five pillars? Yeah, I mean, 
when we when we decided that these were probably the five to begin with, one of the fun things we've done, and this is you know again how it feels a lot like our kind of our second chance at uh, at graduate school. You know, we basically have team seminars, right? And so we sort of say, okay, you know, as we've gone about trying to understand ourselves more about, say, the topic of non-delegation, let's find the most notable scholarly articles, both historical and contemporary, because obviously there's a lot more coming out all the time about this stuff. And of course, a lot of court cases too, and, um, you know, particularly with Gundy, right? You know, so this has been an exciting time to be focusing on some of these sorts of issues. But let's look at the court cases. Let's look at the opinions. Let's look at the amicus briefs. Let's look at the... Um, Again, the, the historical and contemporary arguments, and let's workshop them. You know, let's let's talk about this. Let's let's debate these things ourselves. Let's try and understand this, right? And like in particular, again, taking bringing to bear, I think, this argument-centric approach as we go through. Let's identify a few of the most important things. Let's make sure we're taking away what are the court cases that these authors continue to refer to. What are the laws they continue to refer to? Who are the other? thinkers and, and scholars and practitioners that they're referring to. Let's pull these, these out so that we can build lists, helpful lists for readers, right? So that they, if the, all they wanted to do know was, what are the, what's a timeline of the most important cases that sort of helped shape, say, the doctrine of non-delegation or something, right? Here's that page you could go to. But, but more importantly, more substantively, let's try and identify what are the arguments um, related to this topic that the author is either responding to or making, what are the subclaims they're responding to? And if if they have any, what are the um, reform recommendations they're making, right? So part of the process is not just sort of compiling, you know, the best, the most fun sort of reading list possible for us sort of selfishly to dive into, but then to pick them apart in ways that hopefully makes it easier for readers to digest by, again, identifying sort of the usual suspects. What are the cases? What are the laws? What are the executive orders? And so on and so forth that we sort of keep seeing cited. But what are the arguments that we keep seeing cited, right? And those are those things that we pull out and also create articles. So for every one of these five pillars, there's articles, for instance, called, you know, reform proposals related to non-delegation or arguments, uh, you know, in favor of non-delegation or arguments um, opposed to the non-delegation doctrine. You know, as we're preparing for the podcast, I, I was thinking back to when I first came into contact with you guys on this project, and and we we had been connected back in actually a little over three years ago in late summer 2017. Um, as I was looking back through the, the the emails as you were describing the project, I I could vis I could um, I, I could viscerally recall the, the 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 feeling of wow, what a huge project to undertake. I mean, it was for somebody like me who's been working on these issues for a long time you know, thinking through how you would build a program like this from the ground up. I was just, I, I thought it sounded like such an intimidating project and it's really come along so well. But even after you build something like this, as you know, it's not as though history stops. The Supreme Court keeps deciding cases. Administrations issue new executive orders, new rules. Congress debates new legislation, sometimes passes new legislation. So there's this constant inflow of new materials too. And I know from teaching this stuff, there's this constant temptation to just take the latest, you know, interesting looking thing and just add it to the pile. And that's why these case books are, you know, interminably long and, and, and students are exhausted by the end of the semester because there just always is more coming through the pipeline. How does Ballotpedia look at what's coming through sort of that's new and try to understand you know, first of all, whether it's worth integrating into the program, and second, how much attention to give it? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, it's something we face just as an encyclopedia with really any of our projects. 
But, you know, in some ways, the, the architecture of the argument-centric approach, as well as the pillar approach, allows us to be pretty comprehensive, right? So, uh, uh, you know, we're... It, because we have, um, because we have, for instance, you know, again, a range of articles set up around here are the arguments, you know, for and against or related to these various ideas, and here are the reform proposals. As the new stuff comes out, actually, it's pretty simple to go ahead and, you know, copy and paste the block quote and stick it there, right, for the benefit of our readers. So, in some sense, we've got, I think, hopefully, and of course, readers have to be the one to judge, but I think we've got the architecture right to sort of reduce the costs of actually including that stuff. But one of the things I think that's been sort of interesting is to also kind of help readers understand that although there's a lot of new stuff coming out, what's so nice is that a lot of the new stuff is helping us to sort of re-understand what we thought we knew, right? So um, it's kind of nice. So I feel like we're at a point now, and I know that that the, uh, you know, that the, 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 the center there has played a big role, not just sort of helping to produce ideas, but helping to sort of like, you know, re-examine old ideas too. What's nice yeah. is that I think we're able to sort of show, say, in the case of Gundy, right? Uh, you know, not just sort of simplistically that this is a case about SORNA, right? And and of course, next level that this is a case with you know, implications for non-delegation, but we're able to sort of help readers understand that maybe new ideas that that entered sort of like amicus briefs around this or that maybe come out of the opinions connect with ideas that you've maybe also seen in this sort of case, in this case, sort of historically. So we're able to sort of show kind of the and the, the, the mainline thinking, right, about these ideas as they've sort of progressed, right? So, so folks are able to get sort of a, a longer term picture, hopefully, right, about the fact that there's a lot of new scholarship and there are new ideas, but you can sort of hopefully see the evolution because of the way in which we've sort of curated these things and sort of included them on these sorts of pages. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. One of the real sort of interesting things about the last 10 years as, as these debates really and they're timeless debates, but as they sort of seem to take on new energy, is you saw you saw developments happening in multiple places at once, right? In the courts, in Congress, in and around the agencies, in academia, um, in in just day to day politics. And while of course they were all very different, and because they were coming from different sources, different forums, it just seemed that there was this common thread, the zeitgeist. Of of reopening some old questions and 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 and, and raising some some new ones, um, and and one of the channel I think the Gray Center, which I, I didn't found, uh, Naomi Rao and, and Henry Butler founded it, and I, I sort of inherited it. Um, when they founded it, I think what they recognized was it was good to have places that would try to bring these things together to connect the the, the scholars with the practitioners and the policymakers. So, and, and in the case of Ballopedia, to take all these these materials that are being produced and try to bring them together in dialogue with one another and to show that there really is a through line on many of these things that are happening in politics and in the world of, 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 of ideas, so to speak. Um, but again, it, it certainly complicates the task of understanding what to, what to, what to focus on and, and what to maybe render to a, a sentence or, or, or a footnote. Do you have a favorite part of of the Ballotpedia Administrative State Project? I'm sure you love all your children equally, but is is there one aspect of it that you're particularly um, excited about or 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 proud of that you want to talk about? A good question. I mean, I think in some ways I don't want to I don't want to uh, you know uh, overstate it, but I do I do think again the pillar approach and the argument centric approach we take it's 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 been very enjoyable, and I think it's hopefully been fruitful and productive for for readers, and I think largely because there's almost this sense in which someone could with limited time, I think sort of scroll through just the table of contents, say on a page 
that we have maybe entitled, you know, reform arguments related to judicial deference. And if all they did was to sort of see the subheadings, right, about what those major arguments are, sure, they could dig in and they could see all the very specific claims that different scholars and practitioners then continue to make. But what's nice is I think you get a very clear, quick takeaway about, again, here is the mainline thinking about this, about this issue. Oh, and here are the links to sort of the other sides of it. So I sort of feel like that approach has been it's it's been a nice innovation for Ballotpedia and I think has been something that's benefited readers. And again, it's a fun, it's just fun to build architecturally, you know, it's encyclopedically. Yeah. I'd say the other thing though is um something we haven't talked a lot about, which is that although a lot of what we do focuses on um the national administrative state, uh, we spent a lot of time focused on the administrative state in the 50 states. Yeah. And so a lot of our work's now been focused on what are the states doing, including uh, an ongoing um, scorecard of the 50 states where we're sort of taking these five pillars and all of the specific questions you could ask about an administrative state with respect to them and then applying them to the 50 states to wonder, for instance, you know, how many state APAs or constitutions prohibit deference? You know? mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. There's some pretty counterintuitive responses, but I see the state focus is fun because that just feels like, I mean, Ballotpedia's niche is always about sort of finding the things that feel like are less covered, right? And it sort of feels like just in the context of work on the administrative state, obviously there's a lot of work to do to understand what's happening or at the local level, right? Yeah, I think that's a great point and a great initiative. That's The more time I've spent focused on these issues, the more I've realized that that what's happening in the states is is incredibly important, not just um, for the sake of, of, of federalism sort of in general, um, but even for those of us who are focused, you know, maybe too single-mindedly on uh, reform at the federal level, and I, I count myself among those single-minded people, um, what's happening in the states is incredibly important because for those who want reform, you know, successful reform in a state is almost the proof of concept, so to speak, for how things might work at the, the state, at the federal level, right? The more that you can show that things like uh, changes to deference, changes to delegation, changes to process have been viable at the state level, you know, that's a good indication of what might work at the federal level. Obviously, the federal government, the state governments are very, very different. Um, and so you can't just sort of map state reforms onto the federal government, but you certainly should learn from those state reforms. Later this year, uh, in January, the Gray Center is going to have one of its, uh, one of the the research roundtables, the private workshops that we do every year for to, to help kick around uh, new scholarship. And we're going to dedicate one to to the states. You know, we often call states the labs of laboratories of democracy, and so we've we're calling this um, this this roundtable laboratories of administration and thinking through everything from uh, new uh, or sorry state developments and in, in non delegation doctrine to state regulatory review processes and and so on. And I'm I'm certain that my my own sort of increasing interest in what's happening in the states has been informed by and, and energized by the work that Ballotpedia has done. Now, Ballotpedia's so the, the the Ballotpedia's administrative state project we keep referring to it as a as an encyclopedia or as encyclopedic, uh, but of course it's not just something that sort of sits passively on the shelf waiting for people to reach for it. One of the things that Ballotpedia has done is has been to frame programs in terms of educational opportunities. Um, on the web on the website, it has a whole list of of offerings of of sort of active programs by Ballotpedia, things ranging from the Administrative State Lunch Club to the Checks and Balances newsletter to what you call learning journeys. So, why don't we talk a little bit about this? What are um, Ballotpedia's educational opportunities on the Administrative State? 
Yeah, thanks so much for, for pointing that out. And it's true. I mean, obviously, we've got the encyclopedic base and we're here for people who are searching, right? And again, we're, we're often found by people who, um, who maybe don't set out to, to go to Ballotpedia in particular, but again, Google something like, you know, <laughs> administrative law wirehouser and end up finding our article and then are introduced sort of through the side door. And I should just say, by the way, I just have to brag on the project. Partially because, because we all are sort of admin law nerds, you'd be really excited to know you know, how many millions of people actually end up viewing this content each year. It's really exciting. We get about 150,000 page views on this content each month, which is just, again, blown away our expectations. But again, it's exciting to know that there are people interested in this stuff and clearly people who continue to want a framework. So it's really, really encouraging. But yeah, we also try and meet people where they are, right? Not everyone is Googling those questions and finding through the side door. So learning journeys, to start with those, it's a way of taking the five pillars and some of these sort of core ideas uh, essential to understanding administrative state. And if you're interested, say, in a slice of that, like what is the RAINS Act or what, uh, tell me more about the idea of executive appointment and removal power, which you're able to do is sign up basically for an email-based course, kind of a go at your own pace. And yeah. once a day, you'll get a little snippet, you know, maybe today get a little overview into the idea and then tomorrow get another email with some ideas about, well, here's here's what the Constitution says and here's what people argue about what it says with respect to, say, removal powers, right? And then the next day, an argument or an email about, well, here's some reform ideas related to folks who something differently. So it's a, it's just a go at your own, go at your own sort of pace, sort of email-based course for anyone, again, looking to kind of deepen that, that framework, the introduction. That's something that I've noticed has been... Um, a value to just, you know, again, average readers, including journalists, uh, many of whom are now coming to the project, again, looking for a framework to try and figure out how do I make more sense out of some of these court cases that I'm, that I'm covering, right? Yeah, could you describe your audience a little bit? Who does come to you for, for information? Journalists, surely policymakers, state policymakers, who's your audience? It's, it's a huge mix. And I think the great thing about being online is that it can really be it can be all things to, to all people, right? I mean, because it's because we because we can be found pretty easily, and because we have a number of these opportunities now in order to to reach to reach people where they are. So, uh, you know, uh, it's again, it's a pretty broad mix. Um, uh, you know, obviously, voters and, and and readers interested in these things. Obviously, students. You know, we've got a number of these projects to open to anyone, but largely targeted at students. But journalists too, we've got a network now of over a thousand journalists who we've identified through, you know, RSS feeds and and uh, folks who are sort of working on admin law beats that are writing more and more about this stuff who we um, who we, we engage with occasionally uh, to sort of update them about, you know, happenings in the world of administrative state or just happenings with the ballot PD administrative state project. So it's a really wide mix of people. And of course, there are, you know, anecdotally, Legislatures and, and and others who who find the content who are um, always amazed to know that there are th- things they're learning about their state they didn't realize right that like oh my gosh my state has a uh, has a you know joint committee of you know administrative review in the legislature I, I I didn't know that you know what I mean so well that's great so for folks who want to you know become part of that audience they obviously should go to the website they can sign up for the newsletter uh, what else. Yeah, there's something too that we've just started recently this summer, which you which you were very helpful uh, in um, helping to get off the ground, which is the uh, the monthly expeditions, which is sort of like a learning journey, except you get to take you know a little bit longer time. So there's some there's some more readings you can dig into, some more sort of self guided questions, as well as some interviews with 
with experts like, like yourself. And in the case of the summer where we had some large cohorts of people taking these monthly courses at a time, we had one on non-delegation and one on deference. We had a live AMA for people to come in and ask additional questions. So just another way for people to sort of go at a kind of a go at your own pace, right? But sort of with a, a little bit of an assist from us by sort of creating a little bit of a structure, a little bit of a sort of a syllabi for them to sort of guide themselves through. But yeah, there's the checks and balances newsletter, which is monthly where we cover the sort of the main happenings, both at the national and the state level. And we try and also feature either notable piece of new scholarship or another sort of a update from the, uh, from the project itself, as well as uh, a regulatory tally. You sort of alluded to this earlier on um, when you were discussing our homepage, but one of the things we do is to, is to simply keep track of some of the basic stats, right? Some of the some of the metrics around the administrative state. So each week and each month, uh, with the Fed Register and OIRA respectively, we we tabulate the number of pages that are published in the register, as well as the number of rules that are reviewed or sent back or approved without changes. And just to sort of publish that, just to kind of give a sense. And so we've got that data going back to 1936 for the Federal Register. And actually, kind of fun, we have a pretty good working relationship now with the folks over there at the register, where occasionally able to sort of help them actually update their statistics and they're always very grateful so if you're looking for if you're looking for accurate accurate facts about how many pages the register publishes come to ballotpedia first that's great you could develop a whole section called federal register register which just gives updates on the uh, federal register <laughs> that's right why don't we finish up on a couple of big picture questions uh, first of all what's the biggest lesson you've learned in this whole process of putting together this project that's a good question i think it's that there is there is a lot of reform happening in the states that I think a lot of people are unaware of. And I think when people talk about some of these issues at the national level being sort of third rails, I think they only need to look at the states to see what's possible. Uh, and I also think that, um, uh, you know, um, I, this is a slightly different take on the question, but one of the things I'm sort of most interested in is sort of at the end of the day, once we have all these arguments curated and we've got the reform proposals curated, you know, we've got all sides on, on all these issues. One of the things I sort of hope implicitly is that we're able to sort of convince everyone that um, there's still so much exciting work yet to be done in some sense, right? What I'm interested in doing almost social scientifically is, is creating sort of additional paths for sort of research agendas, right? It's like if, if we've done a comprehensive job of sort of curating all sort of the mainline arguments, say, about what to do about deference, both philosophically and practically and jurisprudentially, but we're still sort of in kind of a holding pattern, right? Well, then, you know, uh, what's next, right? So hopefully we sort of provide kind of a jumping off point for just continued, you know, deep dives into these topics, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And it's a natural segue into my last question, which is, is there anything you want to preview in terms of coming attractions, what, what you're working on next? Yeah, well, the, the, the big thing is still the state scorecard, and we're sort of we're continuing to work through that. We've got about 50 or so questions, again, across the five pillars, everything from, you know, what the APA constitutions in various states say about, you know, rulemaking requirements and deference requirements and executive, uh, you know, control over, uh, you know, appointment and removal powers. So we're continuing to work on that, and um, uh, I, I'm very excited about those results. And again, those have also provided some pretty counterintuitive results in some ways. On the one hand, you sort of think that there are some basic things you think would be in APAs and constitutions that aren't. In other cases, there are things that are there that, again, don't seem to, many people don't seem to know about, right, which is sort of interesting. But I think the scorecard and I think the continuing focus on uh, the administrative state at the state level is, I think, uh, you know, part of the future of the growth of the project. 
Well, all altogether, it's been just a fascinating thing to see develop over the last few years. I've been grateful for the opportunity to play my own small part in its development. Um, but more than that, I've just uh, benefited immensely from it. And so I really want to encourage our listeners, if you're interested in these issues, and let's face it, if you're listening to this podcast, you're interested in these issues, to give a look uh, to the, the Ballotpedia's project on the administrative state, sign up for the newsletter. It's a, it's a great, great resource. And, and good luck, Chris, in, in everything that comes next. Thank you very much. And thanks for all your help with the project. Again, my guest uh, for this episode has been Christopher Nelson. He's the project lead for Ballotpedia's Administrative State Project. We're grateful to him for joining us. And we're also grateful, as always, for all of you for joining us. And please tune in for the next episode of Arbitrary and Capricious. <laughs>